Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz, and I want to welcome all of our viewers. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you could spend the next hour with us. Uh, I want to welcome, uh, of course, all our great moderators. Thank you for, uh, you do an amazing job. Thank you for uh, being here tonight. I want to welcome Khaleesi. I want to welcome all the people who are coming into the room. Zoe has just joined us saying hello. Welcome, Zoe. So, uh, some scheduling notes that I mentioned yesterday, tomorrow, we are going to have special guest, Tennille Reed, and every episode straight through uh, August 30th, we are, have a special guest booked. So, but pretty much, yeah, for the next uh, 10 plus episodes, we are going to have a special guest. Please go to our website to check out who's coming up. Uh, it's a full slate, and... Uh, it's going to be exciting stuff coming up. I want to welcome Landa, Lisa, who have just joined us as well. Lindsay Sparks, all the way from Canada, is with us. Welcome, Lindsay. Welcome, Jack Bracken, who sorry, Jab Bracken, who just joined us as well. Uh, so let's see what else is going on. Uh, we have the guests. Yesterday we talked about the movie Sensor. And we watched another trailer for it, and I said I would watch it last night, and I did. I uh, purchased it on Amazon Prime, and I watched it, and damn, that was a good movie, okay? I don't know how many of you guys out there have seen Saint Maud, but the ending in Saint Maud is very kind of the similar to Censor. Now, Censor takes place in the 1980s, and I was too young to remember, but apparently back in the 80s, and particularly in the United Kingdom where this movie takes place, there was a big uproar about what we would call today B-type horror movies, where they're basically, they were made just for the blood, guts, gore, factor, uh, no real story, you know, and there were a lot of them. There were a lot of them flooding the market. And the United Kingdom, I don't know if this part of the story is true, but they have a completely different rating system. Well, this I do know is true. They have a completely different rating system than what we have here in the United States when it comes to movies. Um, and this movie is about a woman named Enid who works as a censor. Uh, she watches these horror movies every day she goes to work she watches them she decides on which scenes need to be cut whether a film is going to be ultimately rejected accepted to be shown to the public and whatnot uh something tragic happens of course everything blames the censors and it just spirals from there great acting great story uh, after the movie, I reached out to the director and the writer of the film, uh, Prano Bailey Bond, uh, and she was nice enough to respond, and she is going to be joining us on September 7th. That is going to be a fascinating talk, because I have a lot of questions for her. Uh, it's a great movie. If you guys want to check it out, it is available on Amazon Prime. I don't know if it's available on any of the other uh, outlets where you could buy or rent it, but I know for sure it is available on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, I bought it, it was like 14 bucks, so it's definitely worth it, you know, uh, if you want to check out a great horror movie with a great story, and the writer and the, the writer, the writer and director is going to be joining us, like I said, on September 7th, and she's in the United Kingdom. So because of the time difference, that episode is going to be starting at 4.15, uh, sorry, 4.30 Eastern United States time. It's going to be 9.30 over at the United Kingdom. So there you guys have it. Uh, check out who's coming up over the next 10 days. And a little reminder, this Sunday is the premiere of The Walking Dead. And in honor of The Walking Dead, I'm, wa I'm wearing my Rick Grimes and Daryl Dixon shirt for tonight. Uh, it is premiering wide on AMC this Sunday. So for those of you who do not have AMC Plus and haven't yet seen the first episode, uh, tune in. It's coming up this Sunday. It's a two-parter broken up over uh, this week and next week. Uh, AMC was nice enough to give, uh, give us access to the first two episodes. I loved it. I hope you love it. 
It's a great start to a season that's broken up into three parts. We're going to have part A, part B, part C. Part A, of course, is starting this Sunday. Part B is going to be probably early 2022. And then part C, to wrap up the Walking Dead series. Uh, I know it's sad, but it's wrapping up. It's probably, the part C is probably going to happen uh, in, in a year from now, next fall. Uh, or late summer is when we're going to get season 11, part C. And they're going to be broken up into eight episode sections. So eight episodes starting this Sunday, eight episodes early 2022, and the final eight at the end of 2022. And that is going to wrap up the Walking Dead series. I know a lot of you guys are really sad about that. But, uh, you know, I made my prediction Part A is going to be Maggie Negan. Part B is going to be the Commonwealth. And I think Part C is going to be, you know, something that we read last summer where something happens and it's revealed to uh, the core group members that Rick Grimes is still alive. And it causes a lot of them to splinter off, maybe away from the Commonwealth, Alexandria, who knows, to go in search of Rick Grimes. Now, because the movie is still hung up and, as far as we know, has not started production yet, uh, I'm sure, I don't know if that's still the plan. I don't know if the writers had to readjust, because I'm sure when they were coming up, uh, last summer when we read that article, uh, when they were coming up with that idea, they were hoping that the movie would be releasing around the same time that... Uh, the Walking Dead officially ended. Uh, that's that's almost not going to happen. As far as we know, they haven't even started shooting yet. Uh, and to be honest, there's something going on that we don't know about. Because for the longest time, they were blaming it on COVID. But, you know, they haven't used that excuse for a while. In fact, they haven't used any excuse for a while. They haven't even talked about it. But I guarantee you there's some stuff going on behind the scenes, some kind of dispute of some sorts that is causing the hang-up. And this thing is not being filmed yet. And I gotta say, I'm getting a little nervous. Um, I gotta be honest. Uh, many of films have died, you know? Doesn't matter how big, how, you know, how much of a demand there is for them. If there's a dispute going on between studios, contracts, copyright laws, you name it, many of films have died and have never made it to uh, in front of viewers. So I am starting to get a little bit nervous. A lot of time has passed. Remember, it was well over three years ago that Scott Gimple, right after Rick Grimes' final episode, uh, appeared on Talking Dead and that's when he announced the trilogy of films. They were at that point going to be made for TV. They decided to go larger. They decided to partner up with Universal. And things are now complicated. And that's what usually happens when you bring in a lot of outside players to help, you know, with budgeting. And again, I'm going to say it again. This is all my theories. This is not based on any facts. So please, take it as just that. It's just my speculation. But they haven't started shooting yet. And they can't use COVID as an excuse anymore. All three television shows are shooting. Uh, Andy Lincoln supposedly is ready to go. I have no idea. They're not. We're not going to find out. But I would not... Let me put it to you this way. I would not be surprised... If sometime in the near or distant future, we get an announcement that the movies have been scrapped. And that would just suck. Because we, the fans, are going to be the ones that ultimately pay the price. Because we have been waiting for these movies for a long time. Hell, we've been waiting for just one movie for a long time. And uh, don't be surprised. I, it would not surprise me if we, uh, if I read that article one day and it says that as of right now, the uh, the Walking Dead movies are are on indefinite hold. Uh, Lisa writes, I would love to see Daryl and Carol go in search of Rick, following Michonne's footsteps, 
Judith going after them and Negan going after Judith to keep her safe. That's interesting. Want to welcome Ashton, who's just joined us. Philip is with us as well. Zoe says no to the Walking Dead movies not being made. You know, silence sometimes is the greatest telltale. When there's silence, it silence speaks volumes sometimes. And you just got to listen. So anyway... Let's get on to the news that we have for you for today, and we'll roll right along because, as they say, the show must go on. Now, I didn't even know they were making this, but apparently they are making a Pet Cemetery prequel. I didn't know about this. One of Stephen King's most frightening stories has moved a little bit closer to exposing the horrors of its backstory. Pet Cemetery from 1989 on the Horror Masters 1983 novel, this week added two more actors with strong genre pedigrees to what fans hope will be a fascinating prequel. Uh, as reported by Deadline, Henry Thomas and Samantha Mathis have now joined the cast, which already included Jackson White, Forrest Goodluck, Jack Mulhern, Natalie Allen, Lind, uh, Isabella Star LeBlanc, and Pam Greer. Pam Greer, wow. Pam Greer has been in so much stuff. Uh, Thomas, of course, had his breakout role in uh, Spielberg's 1982 masterpiece E.T., which earned him a Golden Globe and Saturn Award nominations. Most re recently, the actor has continued his career with roles in Netflix's The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor, uh, one of only two characters to go from one show to the other, as well as the upcoming Midnight Mass, uh, which we are going to have one of its stars, Kate Siegel, joining us uh, sometime in September. So stay tuned for an exact date on that. Kate Siegel was in Haunting of Hill House. She played Theo. So if we have any Hill House fans out there and you remember Theo, she was probably the biggest fan favorite. I know she was my fan favorite. Uh, Theo, uh, actress Kate Siegel, is going to be joining us here on Dead Talk Live. Mathis recently was seen in Jason Blum's anthology series Into the Dark and Guillermo del Toro's The Strain, she will appear next in the Miramax thriller, The Georgetown Project, opposite Russell Crowe. There's a name we haven't heard in a while. And Sam Worthington. The Paramount Players Pet Cemetery prequel written and directed by Lindsay Beer from initial draft by Jeff Bueller is produced by Lorenzo Di Bonaventura and Mark Varadian. Uh, probably butchered that. Sorry, Mark. The movie will debut exclusively on Paramount Plus on a date yet to be determined. While specific plot details have not been revealed, uh, Bonaventura has said, if there's anything here, there's a prequel. I think if you look at the book, we didn't cover all that stuff that happens before the Creed family moves in. Plus the fact that Jackson White's character in the film has been described as a younger Judd Crandall, a character who is elderly neighbor of the Creeds in the original story. Now, the original Pet Cemetery, directed by Mary Lambert from King's Screenplay, received mixed reviews but still earned $57.5 million dollars on an $11.5 million budget and spawned a 2019 reboot that enjoyed even better box office success. So, uh, I'm a Pet Cemetery fan, and they're right. Going forward with the sequel, it's pretty, it's pretty much going to be the same of what we've seen already. Going the way of a prequel and giving us more backstory... That's the way to go. So I'm really glad that's the direction they've uh, chosen to go with this. 
So Lisa writes, yep, there's been no hype on the movies talking about The Walking Dead. Silence, I tell you. Silence speaks volume, guys. Anyway, let's keep moving on. Uh, FX Chief, they're doing an alien TV series likely to debut in 2023. That has never been done before. FX is not rushing into its small screen version of the 1979 horror sci-fi classic Alien, but if you listen carefully to recent reports, that may be a good thing. John Landgraf, president of FX Network, said during an interview, the series is being developed at this time and will probably premiere sometime in 2023, but we want to get it right, and we're going to take whatever time it takes to do that. Sounds like they're taking this very important project very seriously. The series, under the guidance of showrunner and writer Noah Hawley and producer Ridley Scott. Nah, damn, Ridley Scott, who was part of the original, uh, he was behind the original Alien, will be the first Alien story set on Earth, but there will be ties to the iconic storyline as well as some differences. I wonder if we're going to get to see Sigourney Weaver in like a cameo appearance. I think that would be kick-ass. Landergraf said Hawley's, uh, sorry, Hawley's approach to the series is very grounded uh, in the legacy left behind by the storied film franchise. I think it was very conscious to the fact that there's, there is a cinematic universe, Landgraf said, and that while it has some flexibility, the aesthetic that was established by Ridley Scott and James Cameron is a part of that universe. Landgraf added that fans will see some inventiveness and some originality in the series that is uniquely Noah. He called the project a really big world-building exercise. You're talking about designing and building sets that are huge. We are well into it. We're moving um, at a pace. I have optimism that this show will roll out in 2023. Now, as to the differences, as reported here last month, uh, the intrepid character of Ripley, famously played by Sigourney Reaver, will not be a part of this FX show. We'll see about that. The series is not a Ripley story, Hawley stressed. She is one of the greatest characters of all time, but I think her story has been told pretty perfectly, and I don't want to mess with it. I'm just talking a little cameo, that's it. Um, as, of, as all horror fans know, the original Alien from director Scott and screenwriter Dan O'Bannon follows the crew of the space tug Nostromo, we have a memorable encounter with the ugliest, meanest, meanest alien that ever got screen time. The film kicked off a media franchise including movies, novels, comic books, video games, and a flood of collectibles. Alien uh, also took a healthy bite out of the box office, earning $106.3 million dollars on an $11 million budget. And this is going back a long, long time. That $106 million in today's money, I'm guessing would be, I don't know, probably closer to $800 million. Uh, so that's a lot to look forward to. Uh, Lindsay Sparks writes pretty cool about another pet cemetery. Uh, Lisa also writes, no, they cannot replace Sigourney. They're not, I'm not saying for them to bring Sigourney Weaver back as Ripley. That's not going to happen. Uh, I just think it would be fun to give her a little cameo appearance. Not even as Ripley. Something else. Zoe writes, how exciting. I love aliens. Um, <laughs> Lisa writes, sounds like the Walking Dead movies. They want to get it right. Yeah, we've heard that over and over and over before the silence has fallen anyway uh moving on this is interesting halloween kill soundtrack will haunt 
fans in October. John Carpenter's incredible mark on the Halloween franchise lives on most recently with his powerful score for Halloween Kills. The soundtrack for the latest chapter in the iconic horror series will release October 15th, the same day the film debuts in theaters, and the first pulse-pounding selection from that album is now available on this page. And I haven't been to the movies in a long time, but this is the movie that is going to take me back into the movie theaters. I will be there at the movies to watch Halloween Kills. You can almost see the frightening figure of Michael Myers as you listen to the menacing music. The track Unlikable is one of the album is from the album by Carpenter, Cody Carpenter and Daniel Davies. Cody Carpenter, oh man, I'm going to go on a limb here. But I believe Cody Carpenter, I know it's John Carpenter's son. I think that's his son with Adrian Barbeau. Adrian Barbeau was our guest, and she talked about their son together, and I believe it was Cody. Um, the music is described as is unmistake, unmistakably Carpenter, the sinister synth tunes, the breath-stealing sense of menace conjured with just a few descent tones. Carpenter uses a broader sonic pal uh, palette, new digital techniques, and a deeper sense of musicality to push his creative limits and find new ways to thrill and terrify. Halloween Kills from director David Gordon Green uh, from a screenplay he wrote with Scott Teams and Danny McBride picks up after the horrifying events of Halloween 2018. It literally picks up right where they left off. As Laurie Strode inspires Haddonfield to rise up against the seemingly unkillable Myers. The R-rated Universal Pictures film also stars Judy Greer as Laurie Strode's daughter, Karen, Andy Matichak as her granddaughter, Allison and Nick Castle, and James Jude Courtney as the unstoppable monster. Let's hear what this uh, hype is about this music. Here we go. I'm just going to kick back and listen. That's pretty badass. Now, that's on that is on YouTube, and if they copyright protected it, and you guys don't see me on YouTube tomorrow, it's probably because I got a strike. <laughs> but hey, they put it there. It's on YouTube. I played it on YouTube. Is one of our streaming networks. But that would really suck. But anyway, that sounds really, really badass. Lindsay Wright's getting chills. That is badass. Uh, yeah, that gets your bump, that gets your blood pumping right there. So what do we have here? Uh, new demonic film. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. The film is called Demonic. Came together during the pandemic with high-tech tools and a very low budget. Stuck at home, director Neil Bloomkamp created a unique horror film instead of the big-budget thriller he had been planning to make. Uh, Bloom Camp didn't plan to spend last year shooting the low-budget, high-tech horror movie Demonic around his British Columbia home, but that's just what the director of sci-fi films such as District 9 and Elys Elysium did when he realized in early 2020 that science fiction thriller he planned to shoot in the deserts of New Mexico wasn't going to happen in the foreseeable future. Going back a long, long time, I always wanted to make something 
that was tiny, self-financed horror film. Uh, he says on a recent video call, I just love the sort of ingenuity of paranormal activity, the Blair Witch Project, and so for way over a decade, I always had it in the back of my head. Uh, with Oat Studios, which he and his brother, Mike Blumkamp, Blunk, sorry, Blumkamp found in 2017 to make shorts, experimental films, he knew how to work quickly on small budgets. Uh, we had hired a lot of crew members that were very, that were very able to perform uh, in unstudio circumstances where it was really just up to us just to do stuff, he says. And so around April of last year, when it looked like everything was truly on hiatus until we could figure out how to work in this environment, I kind of resurrected the idea. Demonic mixes traditional horror. There's an ancient demon who possesses those, those who come onto its sacred ground with futuristic terror, an experimental virtual reality technology that allows one person to enter the consciousness of another. Uh, Carly, uh, Carly Pope hasn't seen her mother Angela in the two decades since Angela was convicted of mass murder. Then she's approached by a high-tech medical firm that tells her that her mother is in a coma and that their new invention can allow Carly to virtually interact with her. Carly reluctantly goes into the simulation and very, very bad things soon start to follow. It's been haunting this area for a very long time, Blumkamp says. Its lineage is ancient and accounts across anyone who, ran, who uh, ran, runs into it. Uh, the horror of things is simple. When a demon is after you, things usually do not end well. The technology used in Demonic is still new digital film techniques known as volumetric capture, and it is complex. Uh, volumetric capture essentially surrounds an actor on a soundstage with cameras, filming them and compiling the images into a three-dimensional digital character that can be placed in whatever digital setting a filmmaker creates. That's damn cool right there. I had this interest in volumetric capture when I thought, uh, sorry, which is which I thought would probably be better suited to Ode Studio because it's so experimental, he says. And so when this feature idea came up, it was like, well, maybe there's a way to incorporate that into a horror feature length movie. But it would have to be written in a way that felt glitchy and kind of prototypey so that the audience accepts the way it looks. But it's not going to look better than the way it looks. And so the film really uh, was those elements. It's got that glitchy quality that Blumkamp describes and makes for an unsettling world that feels both real and virtual at the same time. Blumkamp says that Demonic is likely the most extensive use of volumetric capture in film to date. It comes out of an interest in cutting-edge technology and film technology that I think is going to become more prevalent, he says. It's very weird because you're capturing the actors in 3D, like a holograph holographic sort of representation of them, in a geometric representation of them that's not motion capture at all. Wow, that does sound complex. Um, even as the pandemic threw the world into quarantine and lockdown, Blomkamp says it was still doable to get this movie made. It was kind of like a group of puzzle pieces that we were sort of putting together. Blumkamp had just moved 200 miles east of Vancouver, British Columbia, to the Okanagan Valley, which surrounds a lake of the same name, offered plenty of scenic locations. He's worked before with actors such as Pope, Chris Williams Martins, who plays Carly's friend Martin, 
Michael Rogers, who plays a doctor at the VR tech lab, who is secret, secretly a Vatican priest and exorcist. That's fascinating. They were comfortable working fast and efficiently. We sort of built it around those elements, he says, of the smaller production, demonic required. It's more like uh, getting your hands dirty and going back to basics. And it's kind of reinvigorating in some ways because you're doing multiple jobs because of the fewer people. His brother Mike produced the movie and was in charge of all the COVID-19 protocols and kept the cast and crew safe. I don't think it's that different to how it would be now. It's just that when we were doing it, it was so new and we had to sort of get the information from the unions. Blumkamp says nothing had really been drawn up because we were doing it at the point when the pandemic kind of began. And uh, just to let you guys in on something, uh, all the unions in the entertainment industry have the tightest of uh, COVID protocols for all their workers. Uh, the biggest obstacle arose when uh, Blumkamp sought to arrange the volumetric capture he envisioned through the Los Angeles-based company Metastage. We couldn't because the border was closed, so I had to actually find a Canadian company that did the same thing and ended up working with volumetric camera systems who built the rig for us. He expects to return to production on Inferno, the pandemic-interrupted project starring Taylor Kish as a New Mexico cop whose investigation of a murder in the desert soon turns towards an extraterrestrial presence, though a different film might jump in the line and come first. Either way, Making Demonic was refreshing return to his roots for the filmmaker whose featured career was launched when a short sci-fi film caught the attention of a producer, Peter Jackson, and led to Blumkamp's debut by expanding the shorts into District 9. I think it's probably not a bad thing for filmmakers to oscillate between like super low budget to high budget, he says, and kind of remember, what are the fundamentals? Are there other ways we could do this that would be cheaper? So yeah, I like the process equally, I guess. That sounds damn interesting. And this whole volumetric camera stuff, I mean, I was following along the way he was describing it, but I'm very curious to see when Demonic does actually become available to see how it looks on the screen. They keep mentioning that it's glitchy looking, but I got to see for myself exactly what he's talking about, because uh, either way, it sounds fascinating. Um so right sounds a little uh Christmas music y <laughs> you talking about that Halloween song? No. It doesn't sound Christmassy. Sounds like Michael Myers is coming is coming for you. Uh Jonathan is saying hello, welcome Jonathan. Uh Lisa writes the Blum Camp is working on writing District Ten. District nine was just one of those big sleeper hit movies um lindsay also writes sounds like an interesting horror movie hey you title a movie demonic i'm in i'm all in so let's see what we have next rebecca hall on the night house the most expertly check this out the most expertly made horror movie of the year and this is from vogue before you see David Bruckner's disconcerting and expertly made new horror film titled The Night House, in which Rebecca Hall delivers a tour de force performance as a grieving widow in a haunted house, you should watch Bruckner's previous horror movie, 2018's The Ritual. That was great. Or try to watch it. My wife left the room after the first uh, 30 nerve-rattling minutes of the ritual, which tells a story of four grieving British friends who go hiking in remote Sweden and encounter something ancient and horrifying in the woods. And seriously, um, I can't believe I haven't talked about this movie before. 
Uh, if you have not watched the ritual, just watch it. Uh, it was the first question I asked Hall when I spoke to her a couple of weeks ago about the Nighthouse. Did you manage to go through the ritual? I did indeed, she said, as part of her research into Bruckner's work. I had to, she added. I was horror-stricken. Let me say up front that I like the Nighthouse even more than the ritual. The Nighthouse has more nuanced things to say about grief secrets but i was glad i'd prepare myself for what bruckner is capable of as one of the most interesting young american horror filmmakers working today which is to fray your nerves and deliver shocks to your system not with gore but with technique sound lighting editing production design as hall told me this is a director really in control of the craft of his genre. He is someone quite serious to be reckoned with. And we have an official trailer for The Night House. Let's check it out. Of course, they gotta make it like this timing. wherein men have lived and died are haunted houses through the open doors the harmless phantoms on their errands glide with feet that make no sound upon the floors we meet them at the doorway on the stair along the passages they come and go impressions on the air, a sense of something moving to and fro. The Night House, rated R. Damn, August 20th. That's so funny. Look what came up on the preview for the next up on the, uh, on YouTube. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's what we're doing tonight. Alright. So if I hit play, just curious, if I hit play, let's just move on. Uh, the Night House is set on a lake home in the woods of upstate New York where Hall's character Beth, a local high school teacher, has recently suffered the suicide of her architect husband, Owen. The house she left with was his passion project, and it's stylishly made simple and open, not the kind of place we associate with ghosts. But this one creaks at night, and the stereo plays Beth and Owen's wedding songs without warning, and those are definitely ghostly footprints leading from the dock to the house. As she becomes convinced that Owen is haunting her, Beth starts to uncover his secrets. A mistress who looks just like her, played by Stacy Martin, a strash of occult books, another mirror image house he was building across the lake. She also obsesses about the meaning of his ambiguous suicide note. Quote, you were right. There is nothing, nothing after you. Close quote and a near-death experience she had years before. Reality in the supernatural mix and hall is intense and committed and carries you through the movie that will scare you senselessly and is also disorienting as it layers on the secrets and proceeds to its strange, ambiguous conclusion. It is one of Hall's very best performances in a varied and impressive career. I spoke to her about the extremities of playing Beth. Uh, the question starts, how did you sort through the emotions of a troubled character like Beth in the Nighthouse? Her husband had just killed himself without warning. There's grief, restlessness, drinking too much, fear... The answer, to me, there was something fundamentally interesting about the idea of a woman dealing with the aftermath of a suicide of a loved one and being left with this sense of, I didn't know that person. 
And if they were capable of that, what else were they capable of? In a weird way, Beth imagining the worst version of her husband, the most monstrous version of him, is almost easier to process than the reality of what happened. I thought that was compelling and fascinating and true in a way on an instinctive level. With someone who can go through in the aftermath of a suicide is just huge. So there you guys have it. And uh, that sounds very interesting as well. Going back though, uh, go watch The Ritual. The Night House, as you saw at the end of that trailer, is coming out this Friday, August 20th. Where it's coming out, I have no idea. Whether it's going to the movies or going to On Demand, I have no clue. So, uh, we talked a little bit about this yesterday. American Horror Stories is getting close to wrapping up. Uh, the previous episode uh, was a camping trip where uh, we met some very interesting creatures. It's about a couple that goes on a camping trip. They lose their son. Fast forward into the future. Marriage has dissolved. The husband is still committed to try to find out what happened to their son. He's still pretty much living in the woods where he, his son disappeared. The wife is trying to move on with her life. He ends up bringing her back because a new lead pops up. But uh, it gets interesting after that. I'll leave it up to you guys to watch it if you haven't watched it yet. Uh, but uh, it gets pretty damn interesting. So we only have one episode left to go. Uh, uh, now, the last episode was episode six. The next episode, episode seven, is going to be the season finale of American Horror Stories. And as we know, it goes back to the murder house. Um, Dylan McDermott comes back, a whole bunch of characters that we've seen on American Horror Story from previous seasons associated with the murder house come back. So very much looking forward to that one. Uh, ah, Khaleesi says that Ashton is her grandson. Well, welcome Ashton. Nice to meet you. And thank you for coming to our show. Uh, let's see how much time we have left. Uh, this is the same thing about the night house. Uh, Cinema Blend and their list. We're not really going to go through Halloween and every Halloween movie ranked. This is just opinion based. Everyone has their own opinion. Uh, so let's get on with today's topic, which we are going to talk about unmade horror movies, which is a really hard topic to talk about. But like the Walking Dead movies, things have been announced, ready to go and never appear in front of any audience. So that's sort of kind of what we're going to be talking about today. And let's just hope that we don't do something similar like this in the future and the Walking Dead movies are on this list. A <laughs> uh, list of unmade movies in Hollywood is easily three times as long as the foundation of movies that have been made. And that is absolutely true. I forget which one of our guests uh, told me this, but only 25 to 30% of movies made actually make it in front of an audience. That is, that blew me away. Only 25 to 30%, maybe even less, of movies actually filmed. And then we're talking about stuff that has been filmed, actually makes its way in front of an audience. Uh, among many of these projects are unmade horror movies that have gained a legend onto themselves. Some of the most unique, one, unique ones we will go over. Now, let's start with The Nightmare on Elm Street 6. The Dream Lover uh, was written in the hiatus between Nightmare 5 and Freddy's Dead. Peter Jackson was one of the many writers given the assignment. His script featured a depressed and defeated Freddy Krueger, who is bullied by the residents of Springwood uh, and uh, so on. Freddy gets his groove back once he accidentally kills 
one of the bullies leading, leading him to get revenge on the town. It was ultimately rejected in favor of uh, Nightmare producer Rachel Talley. Now, Freddy, now check this out. I bet a lot of you have never heard of this one. Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. That's right, Ash. Evil Dead Ash. The sequel to Freddy vs. Jason was an early development without uh, the first film's writers of uh, Mark Swift and Damian Shannon as neither were sold on the concept. I don't blame them. Uh, the featured film, the film featured Evil Dead's Ash moving to Crystal. Check this out. I mean, just, just listen to this concept. Ash from the Evil Dead moving to Camp Crystal Lake to assist in the training of local Smart, Trouble ensues and Freddy manipulates Jason into seeking the Necronomicon. Some movies are better left unmade. Perfect example right here. Uh, Halloween Returns, a planned recalibration of the franchise, and God knows this franchise has been recalibrated many, many times over the years, was developed after the scrapped third installment in Rob Zombie's Halloween franchise. Probably scrapped after the second one. Uh, featured Michael on death row, escaping custody, and being hunted by the adult child of one of Michael's previous victims, as well as a cop's child who is obsessed with the Myers case. No concrete details exist as to what prevented the project from being released, but after the rights lapsed, the project was as dead as Myers' victims. That's very poetic there. Uh, another movie, uh, John Carpenter's Meltdown, Halloween and a Power Plant. The film uh, developed under the code name Prometheus Crisis. It was developed over numerous years with different stars attached, from Dolph Lundgren to Casper Van Dien. The film was loosely described by Carpenter as, like we said, Halloween at a power plant during a meltdown. The film left Carpenter's direction by 94, when John Dahl picked it up, but it never materialized despite plans to film it as late as 1997, with Van Dien in the lead role. Going through this list, Guillermo del Toro at the Mountains of Madness. Del Toro was a life, uh, longtime fan of the writing of H.P. Lovecraft, intended to make a fantastical horror film from Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness. Between del Toro's enthusiasm at adapting a novella many called unfilmable, and the early insistence of an R rating both from Warner Brothers and Universal turned the project down. Del Toro went through the challenge of altering the script from R to PG-13 in an attempt to get the green light, but never happened. Uh, Creature from Black Lagoon Remake, something long wanted by horror fans, the legendary Universal film has a legacy of attempted remakes spanning decades. Directors John Landis, John Carpenter, and Guillermo del Toro all attempted to get a remake off the ground, all being turned down by Universal. While little is loan of Landis and Carpenter's pitch, del Toro's idea were later developed into director Oscar-winning film, The Shape of Water. Interest remains in the remake following the success of The Invisible Man, but no further plans are in place. And the last one we're going to talk about tonight, George Romero's Resident Evil. Now, you may ask some questions about this one. An adaptation of the famous video game. In 1998, following the release of Resident Evil 2, and Romero directing a live-action commercial for the game, Romero was hired by New Line to develop a Resident Evil movie. Romero turned out a number of drafts with all manner of alterations, 
from the original game, but the project was still looked on was still looked on optimistically. A lack of further development and approval eventually pushed Romero off the project, opening the door for Paul W.S. Anderson to make his own adaptation of the franchise. So, there are lo- this list literally goes on forever. Uh, like I said, getting a movie made in front of an audience is not an easy task. Anyway, guys, uh, Zoe writes, Viz, you need to write your own script, the ultimate horror movie. No, I'm not a writer. Not a writer. Nope, 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 nope. That's not me. I have ideas, but as far as writing them down into a cohesive story, no. If you want to talk to me, if you're an actual writer and want to talk to me about ideas, I'll tell you my ideas. But for me to put them down on paper, that's not where my talents lie. So uh, that's why I have so much great respect for writers and what they do. It is not easy. Definitely not easy work. So anyway, guys, tune in tomorrow. Our special guest is going to be from Surreal Estate to Neil Reed. And we are going to have guests starting tomorrow for the next 10 episodes. Go to our website. Uh, Our moderators are putting up the site link right now to see who is coming up. September 7th, we are going to have the writer and director for the new movie, Censor. Really looking forward to all our guests. Looking forward to talking to Prano Bailey Bond, the writer and director of Censor, like I just mentioned. So tune in. A lot of fascinating guests. We'll be going to conventions and streaming from there as well. It's been wonderful talking to you. Uh, Since I'm not going to have a free chance to remind you guys before Sunday, don't forget, The Walking Dead is premiering this Sunday on AMC. If you have not yet watched it, don't miss out. Till tomorrow, stay safe and always stay walking. Good night.